Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. And as we encounter God's scripture this morning, I want to ask you something. I want to ask you if you've ever felt this way before in your life. Have you ever felt like you just wish you could go back in time and do something over again? Maybe you made a choice or you said some words or something happened. You thought, you know what? If I had the potential, I would just turn back the clock, do that completely differently. Maybe it was back in high school. You had that big test coming up. You came home and mom knew you had the test coming up. And so what'd she say to you? Are you ready? Did you study? And you said, absolutely. Because you wanted to spend some time with your friends. You wanted to watch your show. You go into school the next day. You take the test. It does not feel good. The next day, the teacher hands you the test, puts it on your desk. It's upside down. You slowly look. And it's the letter that you do not want on a test. You got a big fat F. And now your senior year of sports is in question. And now that scholarship that you were certain you were going to get probably isn't going to happen to your dream school. And you didn't realize how much one simple decision in your life has changed everything. And you wish you could just go back. Or maybe you went off to college and you didn't really know what you're going to study. You kind of had a thought of what you would like to study, but everyone is telling you, you know what, you'd be perfect if you just went in this direction. This is what you should get your degree in. And so you listened. And you went, and you studied hard for four years. You walked across the stage, you held that diploma, you went into the workforce, and now you're 10 years into your job, 15 years into your job, and guess what? You hate it. You hate every second of your work day. And you're thinking, you know what? If I wouldn't have just listened to the crowd, if I would have done what I wanted to do, I'd be much happier. So you find yourself enrolling back in college, now in your mid-40s, and you're thinking, if I could just go back and talk to the 18-year-old version of myself, I would definitely tell them to go where your heart is leading you. Or maybe you walk down that aisle with somebody you were convinced was the perfect, perfect match for you. But quickly you found that the person that you dated wasn't the same person that you married, and now you're going through an ugly divorce. And you wish you could just jump in a time machine and go back and change everything. Now, maybe for you, it wasn't something so life-altering like the examples that I gave. Maybe for you, it was just something you said, something you did, an experience that you had that you wish you could go back, but you know you can't go back. Maybe actually the word slipped out of your mouth and you thought, wish I wouldn't have said that. And now I want to do is just crawl into this hole and just hope that people forget We've all been there before. We all have something in our life that if we could do it over again, we would definitely do it over again. And this sentiment, it's nothing new. Right? This sentiment has been around since the beginning of humanity. 
Generation after generation after generation, we do something, we say something, we wish we could do it over again, but we can't do it over again. And today, we're gonna see that this is true, not just in our generation, but actually during Christ's time walking on the earth. And we're gonna see one of his closest friends say something that he would instantly regret. Say something that he wished he could go back and just change what he had just done. This is his story as recorded by Mark. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again, he said all this quite openly. Now, before we get into this piece of history, there's something I, I told you guys last week, if you were here, hopefully you remember, that whenever we step into scripture, whenever we look at the Bible, it's important to know what's happening around these stories. So we have really good context of what's happening. Now, the good news, if you were ha here last week and you remember me saying that, you hopefully remember the sermon last week because we actually broached this story that happens just before this piece of history. If you don't remember or if you weren't here, that's okay. What happened was Jesus and his apostles, they're making about a 25-mile journey down to this group of, of villages called Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, they're having this conversation. And Jesus asked them, he says, who do people say that I am? In other words, what's the word on the street about me? And the apostles, they give some different answers and then he twists it and he flips it on them. And he asks them this very critical question. He says, but who do you say that I am? Who am I to you? And Peter, in a moment of boldness, he says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. This amazing act and step of faith. The perfect response to this perfect question. But what happens next is perfectly strange. You see, after the apostles get all excited about this response and this verification that this is true, Jesus says, now I want you to be quiet. I don't want you to tell anyone this which is so odd because just a, a moment before Jesus had invited them into a special relationship, give them a special title, the title apostles, which means messengers. They were to tell the story and now they finally knew what the story was and Jesus said, don't tell anyone. So off they go with this mixture of confusion and excitement down to these villages and as they're going, you know they're having conversation and they're thinking, why wouldn't he let us tell? Right? Isn't that the point of his ministry? The point of the teaching and the miracles? Isn't that the point of the crowd so everyone can know exactly who Jesus is and what he's here to do? Isn't that the point? But he still said, keep quiet. And they wondered, what is he thinking? What is he trying to do? And maybe they had this conclusion that though this was the truth and this was the message that he did want to preach, that he wanted to be the first one to preach it. And so they make their way down into this collection of villages and when Jesus shows up anywhere, you know a crowd is going to form. People love his miracles, his teaching. The word is out. And so this big crowd forms. And the excitement is building. The, the excitement is building with the, amongst the apostles because they're like, this is the moment. This is the moment he's going to say, I am the Messiah and everything is going to change in this moment. But look what he says. He says, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. And the apostles every one of them would have looked at him. Like, what are you saying, Jesus? 
Why are you saying this? In fact, this can't be true because we all know what the Messiah is, right? Every good Jewish boy and girl, every good Jewish person knew what the Messiah was here to do, to set the people free, to defeat the enemy and bring peace on the earth. That was the role of the Messiah. And if the Messiah were to die, well, then he could not fulfill his role. Now he would die someday, but after he had accomplished his goal, that was their thought. That was their expectation. And then there was another layer that was so hard for them to digest. Jesus said it would be the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders. It was actually them that would make him suffer, the Messiah. And they thought, no, this is impossible. Because the Jewish people, we have been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting generation after generation. Our teachers have been telling us and celebrating the coming of the Messiah. And when the Messiah shows up, there is no way that we won't take notice. There is no way that we won't celebrate him. In fact, this gets Peter really worked up. This is what he does. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Now, I want you to just imagine this scene. There's this large crowd in Jesus' teaching. And Peter walks up, grabs Jesus by the arm, maybe both his shoulders, and just kind of leads him away like a child. And he begins to rebuke him. The man that just a moment ago, he said, you are the Messiah, you are the chosen one, you are the anointed one. This man is his rabbi, he's the student. What is Peter doing here? What is he thinking here? You see, what Peter is thinking is that Jesus, well, he's getting it all wrong. Right, Jesus, you must be confused. You must not be feeling well. Jesus, come over here. Don't you remember? Don't you remember what just happened? Jesus, we were all there. You said, who am I? We said you were Messiah. You affirmed this. You said, be quiet. We were fine with that because you were gonna tell the people and you should have that right, right? Jesus, you, you should be able to tell them first and then we'll step in. We're the messengers. Now we know the message. We'll tell everyone. So Jesus, here's the crowd. Everyone's listening. Tell them you are the Messiah. This is what Peter was upset about. Peter was upset that Christ's message wasn't matching what Peter was hoping Christ's message would be. Have you ever gotten caught with this before? Like Peter? Maybe you're, you're reading through the Bible and you're reading through a section and all of a sudden you read something that's a little bit uncomfortable. You, you read something that Jesus said and you're like, I don't really like that. I don't really like how that sounds. I don't like the implications for my life. I don't like the implications for my, my community or, or my friends. And so we twist it. We ignore it. Maybe even in our hearts we think, well, Jesus, you know, it's just old fashioned. Right? Maybe it worked back then, but it doesn't work anymore. Sometimes we get caught up in this just like Peter. Right? The branding that we think Jesus should have just isn't quite right, and so we want to do it a little bit different to make it work for us. Well, Jesus has a response for Peter, and he has a response for us. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you're setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. So Peter is rebuking Jesus 
And then Jesus brings in all the apostles and rebukes Peter. Now in this moment, Peter probably felt like we've all felt in our lives. We wish we could just go back and undo what we just said, what we just did. Right, we wish we could jump in a time machine and just backtrack about 10 minutes. I never would have grabbed Jesus. I wouldn't be in this situation. But it's too late. And it's too important. So instead of pulling Peter to the side and saying, Peter, you know what? Don't do this again. This is unwise. This was too important of a moment because this was about Christ's mission and his purpose and it demanded an immediate response and immediate clarity. So he brings in his disciples, he brings in all the apostles, he brings in Peter. He says, your focus, the way you're seeing how this is gonna play out, you're focused on the temporary and not the eternal. In fact, you're actually playing the role of Satan, is what he says, which is probably not a very comforting thing to hear from your teacher, by the way. You're playing the role of Satan, which what he's saying is Satan's role or one of Satan's core strategies is simply this, to get us laser focused on this life, but never the purpose of this life. Satan wants to get us laser focused on this life, but never see the purpose of this life. And for these disciples, this is exactly what is happening. They're only seeing the temporary. They're only seeing this life, but they do not understand the larger scale purpose of Christ's life. Well, Mark continues. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take their cross and follow me. So now he's got Peter's ear, he's got the apostles ear, and now he's back to the entire crowd. And he's offering them this invitation to come follow him. But the invitation that he's offering would not be well received by anyone who's listening. Because what is the invitation that he's offering? He's saying, come follow me and then pick up a cross. To which at this point in time, if Peter hadn't already spoken up, you know he would have spoken up here. Because the cross for everyone in that audience meant something very specific. The cross was a symbol of domination for the Roman Empire. It was a way that they kept people in line. They would use it to humiliate people and to show that they would never be defeated. And so this imagery, without any awareness of Good Friday, without any awareness of Easter, you, you can imagine how this would feel. It'd feel completely defeating. Because what were the people's perception of the Messiah? The perception of the Messiah was that the Messiah would come up Right? He would fight the battle. He would bring, bring peace by defeating the enemy. So Peter had this storyline in his mind when he said, you are the Messiah, Jesus. His thought was, Jesus becomes the king. We become his loyal, high-ranking servants. Then Jesus builds an army. He defeats Rome because that was the enemy in the day. And he brings peace to the whole world. This is what Peter expects. So when Jesus says there's going to be a cross involved, Peter is not listening to this conversation. He's having a hard time understanding this conversation because the cross meant defeat and the cross always meant that Rome would win. 
because they could not see what was coming. So Mark continues. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what, they, what can they give in return for their life? So once again, Jesus points us to this challenge in our life, this constant struggle, this constant strategy by Satan to distract us with the things of this life instead of the purpose of this life. And how many people do you know that were laser focused on the things of this life but never got the purpose of this life? That's what Jesus is warning us about. This is the, the work and strategy of the enemy to distract us with these things. So we hunt these things down day after day, trying to buy things that will make us happy with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. This is the human experience, and we do this time after time after time after time. This is a distraction from the enemy to never get to the purpose of life. But Jesus, he has a different way. He has a better way. And so he leaves us with this two-part warning. This is what he says. For those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. So Jesus leaves us with a different option, a warning to go in a different way. Very simply, he says, I'm going to respond to you how you respond to me. I'm going to respond to you how you respond to me. For the unbelievers, right, those who are not followers of Christ, this has an important point that he's pushing. What he's pushing here is the end. And in the end of our lives, guess what happens? We all reflect on our lives, don't we? When death comes for us and it will come for all of us, when we get to that point in time, we reflect on our lives and we decide what we wish we could go back and undo. But in this warning, it's not the end of a, a natural course of life. This is Jesus coming back. And Jesus says, I'm going to respond to you how you respond to me, meaning this. Jesus wants to have a relationship with every single human being in the world. We read this in Scripture. Right? He wants none to perish. But the problem is, not every one of us wants to have that relationship with him. And he's not going to force us into that relationship He's not going to force us in and, and drag us to heaven when we don't even want to be in his presence on this earth. He says, for those people, there will be shame. But there's also a warning for those of us who are followers of Christ that Jesus will come back and he will show up and he will be the conquering king. And when he shows up as the conquering king, depending on how our life has been lived and, and how if our, our focus was caught up in the things of this life versus the purpose of this life, I believe we will feel immense shame. We'll still be saved, but we will have immense shame as our king shows himself in the glorious form of who he is and we will think, I have just wasted 60, 70, 30, 40 years of life chasing after things that don't matter, falling into Satan's trap that he uses time and time again, the trap that he used against Jesus in his temptations, 
try to distract him into the things of this world. You can be king, you can rule over this, you can do this, I'll give you this authority. Of course, he has turned all that down because he had a focus that was about the purpose of life and not the temporary components of life that we cherish. Satan used against the apostles and won this time. They got focused on their hope of the Messiah. And he catches us up in this far too often. We get laser focused on things that truly don't matter and don't have any eternal significance. So Jesus gives us this warning. A warning that no matter where you are in your spiritual journey should grab your attention. It should all leave us with this point and this understanding that we can't go back. When we're in this space and we're in this moment, when we see God for who he is, we're going to want to go back, but we can't. And we'll be actualized into where we were when Jesus arrives or when the end comes. So it leaves us here. Once again, with the invitation. The invitation of a very patient Lord and Savior who knows we can't go back, just like we know we can't go back. But what he knows is that we can go forward. And so once again, he invites us. He invites us not just to cling to the cross for salvation, but to pick up that Christ like cross like he picked up that cross and put this life into motion and to understand the purpose of life and bring Christ's cross everywhere we go, into our classrooms, onto our sports teams, into our work, into our family, into our marriage, and we bring Christ where he wants us to take him so that when the end comes or when he shows up, that we don't have shame and we don't have regret, but we celebrate because the Messiah has truly brought peace to the earth. Thank you.